Introducing Minor Wisdom Quintet. this it is halloween night and i actually just recorded with charles jeffries just finished up and i'm so excited for you guys to hear this uh i you know i've met charles jeffries out and about randomly at different things over my teaching career of the last almost 15 years and but we've never we've never talked and uh Stuart savage being my podcast pimp came to the rescue this week because the people that i had reached out to to record and Charles did I didn't tell Charles this sorry Charles but uh, the people I had reached out to that were recommended by other people did not respond and hey you know so what so I I went crying to Stuart and I said Stewie Booey uh, can you please get Charles to, can you text him uh, I didn't really say it like that but uh, I did I did kind of passive aggressively say hey Char- uh, I mean hey Stuart uh, I don't have anybody this week and he goes let me text Charles and he did and Charles said sure whatever i don't care what you know and got on the podcast and uh was awesome and so fun to talk to um could have probably talked to him for a while but it is late uh, on a halloween night and um i just didn't feel like hey let's keep the guy for three hours and talk to him plus you don't want to listen to something for three hours anyway so uh i hope you guys enjoy this episode with charles jeffries he is definitely a legend he would probably again as most legends don't he would not classify himself there but um, most people know who he is and most people in the state of Texas know who he is and yeah so there there here we are this is why I do this podcast to interview these people uh, 100% this is selfishly why I still keep this thing around I don't make a dime off of this Charles and I even talked about that beforehand about how Stewart is my kind of agent and makes uh, a big percentage of what I make for this podcast which is zero uh, so but I do this because I just love talking to these people and getting their, their their stuff recorded getting their stories and sure could they go on for a longer period of time and tell more stories absolutely Charles Jeffries could have probably talked for days about different stories, but um, that's not how the podcast world works, my friends. So here we are. I do hope that everybody had a great Halloween and was safe. I know we put out candy bags and just said, take one. And I'm pretty sure that a bunch of teenagers came by in uh, stupid, like, uh, sexy cat outfits or some something dumb that their parents should never have let them walk out of the house with but, and took multiple bags. But we sat outside. I sat outside after my hernia surgery because I'm still recovering, sat outside my sister's house and while my kids and her kids, my cousins, or my cousins, my niece and nephew, their cousins, uh, went trick-or-treating with Ava and Eleanor, and they had a blast, and it was very COVID-friendly, if that's a thing, uh, and they they got tons of candy, probably more than they would have, because I think people were very generous with their social distance candy bags, so uh, it was a good Halloween for the kids, came home with lots of sugar, uh, so that's good. This week is kind of a big week. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to things, but uh, the election is this week. So I hope everybody gets what they want. I don't think that's possible, but I hope uh, that things get better in this country, regardless of what happens. I do hope things improve, and I'm not going to give my opinion 
because I just don't feel like it's that kind of podcast, and I'm also not that kind of guy to do that. But um, anyway, I don't. Uh, uh, I I don't think this week is going to be very fun for half the country, and I hope it's the correct half that it's fun for, and the other half they are you know upset about it. I don't know. I don't know what that means, but. Um, it's just, it's a big week and we can't downplay that. I hope everybody has already voted or goes to vote on Tuesday. And if you're undecided, like what, what's wrong with you? If you're undecided, what, like who is undecided right now? Uh, like, you know, like I, I just don't get it. I don't, I'm not going to keep going with it, but, uh, it is nuts, but it is a big week and I hope everybody comes out of it safe and nobody does anything real stupid like some people did in Austin a couple days ago. <laughs> I digress. Enjoy this interview with Mr. Charles Jeffries. <laughs> well, uh, it's it's been an interesting journey. I, I certainly have had a number of places along the way when I could have gone in a totally different direction, but fortunately, I think I did the right turn. So that's, that's part of what the thing is, because I always looked at my life as turns and adjustments and running away from something. <laughs> so that was, that was the game. Uh, well, I was born in 38 in Cleburne, Texas, a little town south of Fort Worth. And uh, 38 makes me uh, ancient. <laughs> and uh, so that's part of the game. Uh, my father and mother were just plain old run-of-the-mill fathers and mothers. My father ran a bar. And mother told him he had to stop doing that. So all of a sudden he was running a restaurant. So it was a little interesting. Um, let's see. Well, my mother was probably the biggest d- director of what I was going to be doing. Yeah. Uh, I remember she took me to the Carnegie Library in Cleburne. And at the time I had no idea what that was, but she kept <laughs> rephrasing it for me. And she finally said, you can get a book from here and you can take it home and read it and then we'll bring it back. So that was my first introduction to learning. Uh, she said, pick a book, any book. So, of course, I picked something like <laughs> Dostoevsky. So that was not a good question. She said, no, 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 no. Uh, maybe over in this area here. And she directed me to where I belonged. And uh, so basically she told me that. And uh, that sort of introduced me to books. And I loved it. I used to because I was in a tiny little town then. And so basically I would just say, Mom, I, you know, I, this is when I'm like five, six years old. Mom, I'm going to go to the library. And she'd say, okay. <laughs> so off I would go. And, uh, you know, in the, those days, you could just walk around town and not worry about anything. So uh, you go out of the library. Uh, somewhere along the line, I, I did get in trouble because I took a book and I took it home. And my mother reminded me to return it. And so I returned it and they were closed. And so I put it behind the big pillars in the front of the library. I thought, it's back. It's where it belongs. <laughs> so I went home. So later when my mother got a bill for like $12 <laughs> in overtime, right. uh, she said, I think we're going to have to limit what you do with this. So it turned out to be, you know, yeah, books are important, but they're also can bite you in the end if you aren't <laughs> careful. So uh, and we moved around all over diddly squat and everywhere. And uh, I, I went to Keene because we moved to a town that was seven day Adventist who, uh, who believes that Saturday is Sunday and, right. They didn't eat meat and all sorts of other wonderful things that were totally a difference. And uh, and I first the thing I went to school and I took a bacon sandwich, which caused quite an abruption and explosion. And that was fun. I I just sort of fumbled through life, always turning towards something that was not quite right for the rest of the world. 
And uh, while I was there, I was watching what was going on, and there, they, they were doing a UIL one-act play. I mean, I'm in third grade, and you know, it's a four four-room school, so it's easy to know what everybody else is doing. And it was my first experience with UIL one-act play, and that was before I knew what the devil that was. I didn't know what a UIL was. I thought it was a thing they a secret language they have between them, and it was about four ladies who were in a house and they had built a dam and it was going to flood the house and they had to move. Uh, sounds like great artistic work. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and I, that was my first UILE moment. And then uh, at one point the teacher said uh, after a couple of days of, you know, stringing her along because I didn't want to do something. Uh, she said, I think I've got a UIL activity that you would be in, involved in beautifully. And I said, and, what is that? I wanted to be in the play. And she said, no, it's not the play. That's for seniors. And I said, oh, okay. So she said, it's called storytelling. And so they actually competed. We went over to Cleburne and she said, you're going to go in and sit down and they're going to tell you a story. And then you're going to go out of the room and over to another room where there is the judge. And I thought, ooh, judge. And the judge, you tell him the story, what you heard. And uh, I, <laughs> I proceeded to win third, which shocked everybody in the whole world. Uh, she said, the reason why you won is because you told a better story than the one you heard. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, oh, good, I'm creative. <laughs> <laughs> so it just, well, it'll, one little nasty moment after another, moving along through the world and creating something or other that was a little out of the ordinary. And uh, so that that was basically it. We left Keene, came to Fort Worth. I went to Diamond Hill High School, which is the worst high school in the world. But they had more money than God because they owned the stockyards and they all that tax came into them. So they had all sorts of options and possibilities. They had art and music and vocal and instrumental and, you know, and theater. And, you know, this poor little guy who had only one year in experience. And uh, he really didn't know very much. And uh, fortunately, because that way I learned the basics really fast. <laughs> so, right. And we wobbled through that. And uh, basically, I had a wonderful time. I then had a second drama director whose basic uh, discipline technique was to cry when she didn't get what she wanted. <laughs> and so we used to watch her and her, her neck would strain upwards. It was like watching one of those great actresses from the forties, you know, and she would go into tears and you knew you hadn't done whatever it is she wanted and you had to do it again and do it right. And so you'd try four or five things to make her happy. And finally she would hit one she liked and you got to keep it. And then I got tired of doing stupid plays. And I told her one day, I said, I want a good play. If I'm going to be in this, I want a good play. <laughs> About 20 years later, she was talking to me and she said, I remember the day you told me you needed a good play. <laughs> I said, geez, Miss Heberly, you remembered. And she said, how could I forget it? <laughs> so I said, OK, I'm going to go and find us a play. So I went and found a one act play called, uh, oh, God, Jesus, what was the name of it? Something awful. Anyway, it was about being there were four people hanging by their necks, swinging, and they were there. All of their lives were flashed before them, and each one got to have their moment. And then all of them together went either to heaven or to hell. It, all this in a little one act play, which was I, I suspect was wonderful, but I have no idea what the name of it was. And but we had to be swinging by our neck, 
So huh. she rigged up some kind of rope with her husband of uh, that sorts, and uh, we basically hung by our neck and rehearsaled. And one day I just blacked completely out. And so I wake up and this was the period in which Peter Pan was very important. And she kept, kept screaming at me, think happy thoughts, think happy thoughts while she's slapping the devil out of me. (laughs) So I thought, boy, that was too dramatic. I didn't want to play that game anymore. So it just sort of went from there to all. She left. Another guy came. He was a little more intelligent, a little more understanding of who we were and what we were doing. But then I, I fell into the clutches of a choral director who wanted to do operettas. And so she drug me screaming into the operetta to play all of the character parts. And that was a lot of fun. And then she also was the one who said, you really need to go to school, to college, learn something. She was sort of putting down the drama director, I think. I'm not sure what was going on. So she said, I'm going to get you a a chance to go out and talk to somebody at TCU. And I said, oh, that's expensive. I want to talk to my mom and dad about that. So I talked to mom and dad, and they said, if you can get it free, you can have it. (laughs) So I went trudging out there, and I met Dr. Walter R. Volbach, who he's the one. He's the one who did it, bless his heart. Yeah. Uh, he, he said, uh, we talked and he listened and he l- just sort of looked at me and I thought he was about 500 years old <laughs> and he was, he had low, he had, his room was completely full of books all the way around. And he said, well, I'm going to need an assistant because the one I have is, t- is going to fa- graduate. Uh, I would like you to be my assistant. And I said, oh, that would, I guess be nice. I don't know. And so at that point, I began to become conscious of the fact that there were really good plays in the world. Yeah. Uh, he was doing Charlie's Aunt at that moment. And I just found out that, oh, I had never done theater. I really didn't understand what it was. <laughs> right. So then I'm his assistant. So this means that I sit on the other side of a stack of books. And when he gets these things, he throws them over the top of the book bookcase and says incoming and it comes to you or if you're not quick it comes on you and so i then at that point we started getting scripts from europe that were friends of his because his wife was jewish and they had to leave back in the 40s and uh they had wound up in at tcu and she was the sweetest woman on earth and i loved her she was another mother and uh but he got these plays in english from europe translations and uh, to English because they didn't have anybody else they could bother, and they knew Dr. Volbach. And so these things would come flying over the top. And so, you know, he would take them into his little office and sit down with a pen and pencil and make suggestions as to corrections or whatever. And then I had to, you know, make sure that they got back and they had to go into the right envelope and the right postage and the right place. And uh, eventually he said, you read it. You speak English, I think. (laughs) <laughs> he was he was not Texan, so I didn't I spoke Texan, and uh, so he he threw them over there and said for me to read them and then mark anything that didn't make sense. So all of a sudden I'm an editor. I thought, gee, gods. So you know the theater is going to hell in a handbasket. I'm sure of it. And uh, so I'd read through them and then I would give them to him and then he would go through them and sometimes he would explain to me where I'd made a mistake and that that was good or I made a mistake and that was bad and why did I let it get it by? And it just went on and on and uh, it just, just you know, it was weird as the devil. And then all of a sudden my scholarship died and I didn't have any money. So 
uh, I told Doc, I said, well, I'm going to have to go make some money, but I'll be back. And he said, good. So I worked at Monning's Department Store in Fort Worth selling dumbbells <laughs> or exercise equipment, whatever you want to call it, sure. and had no idea. But I did. I could roll one over with my foot and point the guy at it, and he would have a wonderful time. So I did that. <laughs> And then I got I got actually connected and became a member of the first uh, group of technicians and bit part players at Casa Manana Musicals in Fort Worth, which is still there. Yep. Uh, and uh, but it was an equity company, and so I got my equity card, and I thought, oh, how wonderful! I never ever used it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Never had to use it, never, but nobody ever asked me for it. So that was the end of that. But I did spend a season and a half there and made money because yeah. basically I, they were paying real money. And um, so basically I went back to TCU and I said, well, I have some money now. And he said, oh, I found you a scholarship. I forgot to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, you really ought to call me when you have things happen. And he said, I was busy. I was busy. So he put me back to work, and he also made me go down and work in technical theater because he said, you're stupid. You don't do a damn thing about what happens inside the curtain except you acting. And I said, yeah, that's probably true. So we went down there, and he turned me over to a guy who was the meanest human I have ever met in my life. Uh, You could not do it right. You could not do it well. You could not do it. Period. And uh, so suffered through him and he went on to somewhere else and turned me over to some other guy who was overly sweet, nice and adorable, and he couldn't do anything right. So it just went on and on. So out of all this mess, I got an education, an amazing education, which was based basically on the European way of doing it as far as literature is concerned. So I fell in love with plays that are good, not just plays. And uh, sort of ruined me. <laughs> uh, got married uh, in, in my senior year because she had another year. So she stayed for her year. And I went to, I, I said, I want, I need a job and I want to teach. And so I went over to the placement service and she said, well, we have one in Hobbs, New Mexico. And I said, where's that? And then they explained to me that they would pay my bus fare to come out and bring my stuff because I'm staying and I said, I haven't seen it yet. And he said, oh, you know, no problems. Come on. <laughs> so I loaded up into a bus and went three and a half, five, seven hundred hours. It was forever to get there. And I arrive. And the biggest thing in town is the high school auditorium. It is enormous. It is an oil patch town. And it, it was phenomenal. It had a fly loft. It had a curtain. It had a pit. It had plush seats. I mean, I sort of walked into heaven, had an enormous tech thing in the back, you know, and the guy who was there was going to go to Albuquerque where he belonged, whatever that meant. (laughs) And he turned over to me a relatively good program that was functioning. Uh, The first thing I did was to call, oh, God, who was in charge of UIL, and I can't remember exactly. But I called them and I said, I would like to, you know, enter the one act play contest this year. And he said, you're in New Mexico. Don't bother me again and hung up on me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, it, it sort of stumbled on from there. And I tried to graduate school in Colorado and I uh, didn't like it, but they cast me in every one of the shows that summer. I think they just wanted to use me. And uh, so blundered back home, finally said, oh, God, I've got to do something. I can't go on doing this. So I worked at Hemisphere 
as the entertainment director and then sort of stayed in town for a while and realized that Paul Baker was out at Trinity and he was doing really good work up in Dallas at the Dallas Theater Center. So I went out to see him one day and uh, I made an appointment. So I walked up to the secretary and I said, I would like to see Mr. Baker. And she said, yes, you have an appointment. Go right in. So I'll go in and I'm anticipating that this is going to be royalty. And I'm some little slug who just walked in off the street and we chat and he questions all of the things that I do because they're all normal, as he called it. That's that's normal theater. And so I thought, okay, uh, I'm, I'm not sure I agree totally with you, but well, well, you're the boss. So I told him, I said, well, I'm going to need an enormous scholarship and a work job or something or other so I can survive this. And so he said, okay, fine. And so I didn't pay a penny from your graduate school. Uh, he sent me to Dallas. I learned all about lighting in Dallas and came back here. Uh, he cast me in a show every time he turned around to keep me busy and quiet. Uh, he kept doing really good theater, but it was interesting because, well, my wife also wound up going to Dallas and playing Ophelia in his Hamlet, ESP, which is made up of a Hamlet that's made out of three parts, different three elements of Hamlet that talk to each other and respond and rearrange and jiggle. So that's the kind of extreme I went to. I went from traditional theater of the earth to, oh my God, we're floating in midair here. And so I, I got a little touch of, I think, everything in the world that can possibly be in theater uh, and basically finished my master's degree. And he said, well, what are you gonna do now? And I said, uh, <laughs> So I taught with him for a, for him for a semester. He had a class that taught his techniques, and it was a, the beginning class for a freshman coming in. And I taught it, and I thought, I will kill myself if I wind up doing this any longer. Uh, none of it was interesting to me, and I wasn't allowed to direct, and I wasn't allowed to act. I wasn't allowed to do a damn thing. Uh, so I started writing plays on the side and throwing them into the corner. Uh, thank God I threw them in the corner and didn't throw them in the garbage. So uh, basically, we rolled along there, and I finally told him, I said, ah, I got to go find something else. So I went out and started looking for a high school job, and on the way, taught at Incarnate Word for a little while, uh, taught at Trinity for a while while I was there, uh, sort of puttered around and wound up at MacArthur High School on the north side of San Antonio. Uh, and I was there for a year, and then the man drove me crazy. Uh, he found liquor bottles in the prop room, and he accused me of, of dr link drinking during the school day, and uh, they were props. But you know, I, my only my only de defense was, do they smell like liquor? Yeah. Right. No, no. I said, well, then I think I, I did clean them after I drank them all. I'm telling <laughs> you this, you know. So bless his heart, he was impossible. I left. To hell with you. I'm not doing that. So I went out to Jay High School out on the west side. I went to Highlands High School with the South Side. Uh, I basically circled 410 and I had a good time. Wound up back at MacArthur High School because Luis Munoz, a, a famous name, yeah, sure. uh, was in a play at, uh, and Judy J directed it. And uh, so basically uh, he said, uh, Jeffries, we got a part for you. And I said, oh, oh, okay. And so basically we were in this, this thing about everybody on a sled dying in, in, the, in northern nowhere and the snow and the whatever and the i had a dramatic scene where i exited off into the snow and the, having a blah 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 and uh, 
I, I had a wonderful time, except Luis one night came in and sat down and he said, well, uh, the person I'm teaching with is going to be moving. Would you mind coming over maybe? And I said, I, can I come tomorrow? <laughs> and so that got me to Luis and MacArthur again. And uh, basically I stayed there forever until Luis left. And then I picked, uh, one day I said, you're leaving. What am I going to do? And he said, you're going to hire somebody else. And so I went screaming around the city. And of course, it was the wrong time because everybody had already made their decisions for the year. And so I called Lynn Murray and I said, Lynn, I, I need a co-director or some sort down here. And he said, well, the only one I can think of that hasn't decided yet is Jerry Knight, who's up in Denton. Uh, he hates Denton and he wants to get away from it. And I said, OK, well, that, that sounds like a plus. And uh, so I called Jerry and we talked on the phone and I talked to my principal and my principal said, let's go up and talk to him. And I said, fine, I'm thinking we're going to get in the car. Miserable. I have five hours up there, five hours back. He said, oh, or no, we're going to the airport. We'll, we'll get a nice flight up there and get it over with and get back here the same day. I said, oh, I like that better. So he went to the airport, got drunk as a skunk and had no idea what we were doing or where we were going. But I had the tickets, so we got him there, and uh, basically he sat quietly in a corner, sort of looking around like I'm lost, I don't know where I am. And so finally I said, well, Jerry, thank you, um, we'll get in touch with you. And so Jerry left, and so I went over to him, and, and so the first thing he says to me, do you want him? <laughs> <laughs> and I told Jerry that later, and he said, oh, thank God I was nice that day. I said, yes, it's not your natural way, so well. So anyway, at that point, got Jerry. We lived out the rest of the existence of our lives, and I got my master's degree from Trinity finally, and my wife got hers also at the same time. So we were both studied, and we both wrote some theses on things that nobody has any interest in, <laughs> which is what you're supposed to do, I think. Yeah. Uh, well, and basically, uh, well, here I am. I <laughs> stayed my coffee and retired. How's that? That's great. My That's God, awesome. is there anything I've left out? I think I, I think I cut my nails a couple of times during that time. But that's about all I can think of. That's funny. You know. And so, so do you and your wife have uh, children? Uh, my wife has passed. Okay. Uh, yes, we had one child, and he's had two boy, uh, three boys, three boys. Okay. Yes. And uh, so I had three grandchildren. Uh, actually, one of them lives in a condo right across from mine because he's afraid grandpa's going to die. And I said, um, I'm going to be here when you're not. So hush. And we took care of that, too. Wow. So uh, that's great. Because I, I noticed on your Facebook, because that's what my crack research team has to. to ah, there we go. Know, uh, but I noticed <laughs> some tags of Astros games. So um, yep. uh, I was yep. I was that was my curiosity there. So uh, but that's funny. So a couple things came out of what you said. Uh, first of all, I got to go. I'm surprised. Well, no, d d d <laughs> don't be, don't be. And and you saying that is part of one of my questions, but I'll get to that in a minute. Oh. But uh, so you're you're like, and and I love this I, because I I I'm a unfortunately sometimes honest to a fault, and um, I appreciate your yeah, honesty yeah. Uh, when you were talking about your time in high school and. Um, uh, and, and how you went to the high school and it was not the best experiences nope. or not, or the high school was not the greatest high school. And, you know, I get, I get a lot of people on these podcasts, no offense to the people listening that have been on that are just, they just, you know, kiss the, you know, what's of, of high school directors and rightfully so, maybe so, but, um, 
But uh, no, I, I had I had a batch that I would never want to be, and <laughs> made an arrangement never to be. So, so yeah. So so then that goes to my question: <laughs> Is did you did you take anything? Like, was there anything from high school that you took with you as as a positive uh, thing that you took to your own classroom, or was everything kind of like this is definitely don't, what you do not want to include? Hmm. Well, I guess from the crying lady, I got <laughs> the understanding that sometimes you don't get what you want and you right. have to find out a way to get it. Uh, and emotion is wonderful. I mean, you can use it just like you're an actor. And uh, so I got that from her. From the other guy, I learned what it was to arrive at the school and be totally unsure of what in the world is going <laughs> on. Uh, and so I, I picked on both of those. I loved my choral director the one who lured me out into a theater that I never had thought I would ever go work for. And, uh, but I, I just, I love the, the general ways that they explained everything to me. Uh, I got theater from its most basic, you right. know, I mean, I, I had, I had not, when I got to college, it was sort of like, yeah, I know, I know where upstage is, what the hell, you know, and you know, I knew all the important things. So it really didn't matter, I guess. Uh, but I got lots of good stuff from them, uh, not scripts. Right. <laughs> right. But you, you already, uh, you already kind of had a love for reading. Um, so were you like self-disciplining yourself on, uh, still like reading stuff, even if it was just things that, that necessarily didn't, uh, carry over into higher education or, or was there, uh, were you just kind of still reading the stuff your mom was telling you to read? <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, yeah. She basically, you know, uh, sort of opened me up to reading right. and then just stepped away from me. Right. And so I, I wound up I in the history department at the library when I was just, you know, what, five, six, whatever. Uh, and I, I got a book out and I went up to the front and I spoke with the librarian and she was the sweetest woman. She she didn't report me for not bringing the, the book all the way in the building. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know. She said, uh, I, 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 I think you need a little more basic than that. So she went back and found one that sort of summarized history in a nice orderly fashion. Right. Uh, I, I sort of already knew what a Greek and the Romans and the whatevers were and in what order they fell through. And uh, so basically, I, I think that that sort of stimulated me. I, at one point, I actually wanted to take history and then I took history and I did not want to take history. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh, uh, I, I took the one I had to go, which, which unfortunately was the Victorian poets. Uh, you know, that's very, exciting. Super common. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Everybody <laughs> wants to go there. Uh, and, and this woman loved that. So uh, it was just like, the, it was like the perfect ugly storm. Yeah. All of it was bad. Uh, and then, I, then I, I actually took theater history from Dr. Volbach who had actually lived this theater history. I mean, he knew these playwrights. Right. He knew about them. Uh, he, was, he was as old as God when I knew him. And he, then he moved from TCU to University of Massachusetts okay. and at Amherst. And he was still teaching. He taught just theater history there. And it was just, I went up to visit him once, drove my car all the way from New York City, all the way up to you know, Massachusetts to, to work with him. And I walked, went to one of his classes and it was so interesting. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. Do you, do you especially st- when you can say things like, "Well, well, he was a drunk, but he really wrote beautiful plays." <laughs> yeah, this, <laughs> that's, and like speaking from experience, yes, that's funny. Yes. Uh, <laughs> do you miss the library? 
I miss the library. I, I now have so many books in my house that I yeah. cannot talk and walk. And I don't know what in the hell I'm going to do with it. So I called, uh, I was chatting with Paula Rodriguez and I said, you need more books in the UIL library. And she yeah. said, well, yeah, we could. And I said, well, good. I'm getting you all of mine. And she said, oh, my God, we'll have to build a wing. I said, I don't <laughs> think there's that many in here. So anyway, uh, I just I, I really do it. I'm, I go to over to Europe and we regularly to London to just enjoy myself. And I have to go to the bookstores because they're there. And then they tempt me into buying books. And then they come back home and they lay there waiting patiently until I get to them. And uh, I just I love the whole thing. I just love it. So I love to find new translations of yeah. of shows yeah. that I have you know I'm familiar with. It's always entertaining. So do is there more of that over in London? I I personally I've never been to London. Uh, I've been through the airport, but I've never. I'm I'm the worst yeah. I'm the worst theater traveler ever. But um, you know <laughs> I've been I've been to New York and Chicago and and that's a, and I've been to the French Festival once. But uh, but uh, wow. yeah, have you like in London? Um, do you find that there is a lot more theater literature readily available than here in the States? Yes. Yeah. Yes, there is. Well, when I'm there, you know, then I'm gone for like six months or right. a year. And in that time, they do new versions of the flies or new versions of, sure. you know, whatever. And so all of those new versions are now available and I can buy them and bring them home because I didn't get to see the show. Damn it. Right. So, uh, <laughs> So that's that's the the truly exciting part of it is to get to do that, and you know I'm I seem to always be dragging people over who have never been and showing them everything they need to have seen, and boring the hell out of them and then sending them back home. So <laughs> I doubt that's true, but is it? So are you just a are you a London kind of traveler, or are there other yes. kind of high spots that well, you? I like Stratford too. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but are there other places in in Europe or even have you been to Asia or have you been, you know are there are there places that you still kind of want to go well, or is it I, oddly enough I when I first retired I said I want to go live in Europe yeah and uh, so Jerry Knight laughed ex exceedingly and he said you can't afford that and I said well probably not so I uh, finally figured out how to go I went to and lived in Prague the Czech Republic okay, sure uh for a year and a half or two years i can't remember exactly what i gave up and came home because i ran out of money and uh so i i basically arrived there with a suitcase and uh i, I want to live here and uh the lady at the airport said well there's a place called prague suites who probably can find you something you can rent and i said i don't think i can afford a suite and she said oh it's just a fancy name yeah. go on down there <laughs> so i went down there and he said what are you looking for and i said i'm looking for a one-bedroom hopefully a kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> and so he said, Oh, okay, we got some of those. So he took me to two of them where we, which were in, you know, like rabbit hutches. They were just, you know, like 12 of them in a pile or something. And uh, I thought, Oh God, this is not going to work. I have to go somewhere else. So finally he takes me to a sweet little old lady who had a bungalow in the backyard and she liked to be, <laughs> and she wanted to learn English. Everybody in Prague wanted to learn yeah. English. So I said, good. Uh, and I said, I can't afford much. And she said, what do you got? <laughs> this was all in check to right. him, to, then to me. And I said, well, tell her I've got maybe $50 a month. Would that be all right? And so we went back to her and she said, oh, hell yes. She spoke <laughs> English all of a sudden. <laughs> so I got a good deal on that. And then I began to wander, found out that the National Theater 
could do performances in English if someone translated them into earphones so that they could get Americans and English people to come to the National Theater and see a show, which was a great idea. And they had two little girls there who did all the voices. And uh, so I, I said, you know, can I help you a little? You know, I, I tried it. And there are some times when you don't seem to be speaking when the other person, when the other person is speaking on the stage, it sort of throws people off. And we had a nice little chat about it. And we all giggled and laughed. And so they decided to go see their boss with me. So I saw him for a while. He didn't speak much English. I think that's why he didn't know what they were doing. And he said, uh, well, work with them. And I said, I'll have to have some money for that. Yeah. So he paid me in check money, which is worth about a dollar, yeah. <laughs> all of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I had fun doing that and wandered all over Europe because basically that was an opportunity for me to get on a train in Prague and right. go to Greece, Spain, Finland, you know, wherever I wanted to go, just go all over and come back in a week and really much more reasonable way to see things. And uh, so I just thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, and saw some absolutely fun. spectacular theater. Saw some wonderful things at the National Theater in Prague that were versions of, you know, the usual. And uh, But they were in Czech, which made it really, really strange to listen to since <laughs> I knew five words in Czech language. Uh, I learned those in Colwell, by the way, where the French, they talk about all the, all the stuff with the, the, this, that, and the other. So I went up to visit... Uh, um, Lou Ida Marsh, and she lives there and got to know her. And so she took me to the Czech festival. And so when it got time for me to like prepare myself, I went up there and I said, I'd like to learn some Czech. So her husband took me down to the courthouse and on the steps of the courthouse, we sat and these four old guys are sitting there and they are speaking Czech and explaining it to me. They would point at something and tell me what it was. And they pointed at something else. And I said, I can't just go over there and point at something <laughs> or just say a word and hope for the best. Yeah. So it was an entertaining way to learn a foreign language. And when I got over there, it was totally useless. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. There's they a, all wanted English. So, you know. Yeah. There's a group of people from uh, University of Houston that I graduated with or that I went to school with that uh, ha- have been over in Prague doing Shakespeare now for years. Yeah. And, you know, they'll bring yeah. over Jim Johnson and, and people yeah. like that. So. Um, it's always been one of those things on my bucket list of, uh, places to go. So you're, you're, you're helping. Yeah. And, and they're, they basically have a couple of uh, English theater companies, which are always entertaining and interesting to go to. Um, some of them, I mean, some of them are bilingual, I'd say, because maybe the first five words are in Czech and the last five words are in English. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure they can catch it. What's going on, but but it, it's interesting. It's a very theatrical city. I mean, they have an right. enormous fest, festival at one point during the year when they have all sorts of things going on, and it's just really spectacular. I couldn't have picked a better place. I picked it because I knew it would be cheap. I did not think in terms of it being an artistic right. center, uh, so that was nice. I could also get to Berlin and see some shows, and get everywhere and see some shows right. and come back and whatever. So uh, Is- I, I'm great. Is there, is there anything that you saw and, and, you know, once you were retired, you, you, I mean, I know you were enjoying yourself, uh, as far as that is concerned, but is there stuff that you saw, uh, that kind of made you get that itch a little bit like, oh man, I wish I could be in a classroom or be uh, producing something, directing something right now, because I've got this great idea to, 
to do well, the Well, of X, course, y, when, right. I, when I saw the English speaking theater in Prague, I thought I was exactly what they needed. <laughs> they they yeah. did not agree. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't have any way of picking, talking to them in Czech. Yeah. So, you know, how the hell is that going to work? You know? <laughs> That's funny. Oh, Lord. So anyway, it's been an interesting life. I go running back to Europe every chance I get, and wander all over it and see whatever it is yeah. I may have missed. And sometimes I forgot about it, seeing it. And when I see it, I go, oh, yeah, I've seen that. And uh, my friend Jerry Knight, that he, I re he retired finally. And he wants to travel all the time every way. Right. So it's sort of like the two of us can go get a, you know, that double room and see that thing and move on to the next one. And it's your turn. You choose one. It's my turn. I get to choose one. And uh, then I have two more friends who are really <laughs> weird travelers because he was a teacher and then he retired. And so now he's available. And his friend, who's the military, he said, I was always there as a military person, couldn't enjoy it. So he loves to go. So I have heard of people that want to go to Europe, and I want to go with them. So it's it's well, working well. That's fun. I'll spend every like, penny I've gotten to hell with it. <laughs> like a little little bit of a travel agent, kind of like a tour uh, yeah, tour guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know, I won't. They make me pay my way though. Yes, <laughs> yes, I know. It's not you're not getting nearly the the commission no, that you should. Yeah, no, uh, exactly. I won't keep you much longer, but I do want to ask something because you are. Uh, I would classify you as an outspoken individual. Um, and, yes. And, yeah. So, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. There, there are uh, some very introverted theater people and some very extroverted uh -huh. theater people and yep. I classify you as extroverted, but has there ever been a time, and, and I ask this more, more selfishly, uh, maybe mm -hmm. so that I can grow as a educator, but has there been a time that you, that your outspokenness, that your extrovertedness has hurt you? And do you think there's ever a time that you mm -hmm. were glad that you were outspoken, that you walked into a room and said, this is what I want. And, and it helped you or, or an occasion like that, that you can think well, of. Well, yeah, I, I, I think most of the times with Paul Baker, I was the most intimidated <laughs> and, uh, because basically I had seen his work and I was just totally blown. I, in fact, I saw it when I was in high school. I forgot about that. A friend of mine said, let's go down to Waco. They've got a strange theater going on down there. And we went to see, you know, something, I don't remember what it was. But it was in that strange theater that he had built especially for him. So I was enamored of him, and I went to in, in there with the all the wrong ideas. Yeah. And uh, halfway through it, I thought, I'm not telling him what I am. <laughs> I'm telling him what I will think he might want me to be. Right. And so I, I just said, hey, whoa, whoa, stop, pop, pop, stop. And uh, I just said, you know, I, I am extremely intimidated by talking to you, and I need to now tell you what I really want. And that's when I got the scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. opening my mouth at the right time worked for once. Right, right. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, it's every time I get sort of pressed to the wall is when it, it clears, and I have to tell somebody what's wrong with what they're doing. So, <laughs> that's uh, I didn't have any problems with that either. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I want to wrap up with this. I usually wrap up with uh, a word of advice, uh, but I don't want advice from you. I want, uh, <laughs> and, I mean, that's that's rude, but I, I would love to have advice from you. But but I think you're the type of guy that could also give me uh, maybe uh, a, a way to end with a quip or something uh, funny, if you will, that, that we can end on a laugh. Um, so I, I, I want to ask about what is has there ever been an embarrassing moment that you have had 
uh, whether it be just in life. It doesn't have to be education related, doesn't have to be theater related or London related or anything. Has there ever been an embarrassing moment that uh, that you can still look back on and it just it gives you a good old belly laugh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I was an arsenic on lace playing kitten. Uh, what's his name? The one with the bugle. Oh, don't put uh, me on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, him. Uh, and you know, we were in final rehearsals, and I, we had I had lots of scene changes, lots of total clothes off, clothes on, and uh, so I basically I ran up the stairs from my big change, and I opened the door, and it's dark, and so I have all most of my clothes off by then, and I get the rest of them off. I'm standing there totally nude, and I turn around, and it's a young lady who is dressing me. And I married her later, so it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) But she said, I looked you over and I thought you'd be all right. I said, well, thank you, dear. (laughs) That's great. That's great. That was her. She was a freshman. She had no idea what was going on in the world. Bless her heart. (laughs) That's great. Minor Wisdom.